You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Um, throughout these uh, last few weeks going into the next weeks, um, we are in the season of Advent and as you celebrate Advent, you have the opportunity to focus in on these gifts that were given by the Lord through the coming of Christ, um, gifts like hope and joy. And this week, um, we are going to focus our attention in on the gift of peace, which raises a really good question. Um, what in the world is peace? Um, we hear uh, about world peace, um, you know, in, in beauty pageants. That's what contestants want. Um, what in the world is world peace? Uh, this idea that at one time, uh, nowhere in the world is there any conflict or war. Um, is that possible? Definitely a, a lofty ideal, uh, maybe something to shoot for. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I got educated, which that's typical. Uh, I did not know there was such a thing as the Global Peace Index. Maybe you didn't know this either. But apparently, some random group of folks out there give every country on the face of the planet a score um, that dictates how well you're doing in keeping the peace, if you will. Um, as you might throw a dart in the dark and imagine, our score isn't very good, um, which is kind of funny when you think about it. Don't lose any sleep over that tonight. Um, but no, the U.S., we don't have a good score on the Global Peace Index scale, whatever that is. But let's just debunk the Global Peace Index, shall we? Let me give you a couple examples of why I don't know how much water we ought to even consider that the thing holds. A couple years ago, um, a couple of countries like the United Kingdom and France, their scores were a bit mediocre. Um, on the one hand, internally... Things are very, very peaceful. Everybody just loves each other. Things are great. But they are associated with us in a lot of ways, especially militarily in fighting terror around the world, which you would look at that and you would think that actually is pro-peace, but whoever runs the Global Peace Index sees that differently. And so France, the United Kingdom, their score wasn't very good either. But now let's talk about what's happening inside the United Kingdom and France. Like they're burning things in the streets right now in France because of the effects of socialism. Things aren't going so well. Their scores dropped. What do you even do with this information? I don't know. But then let's take a country like North Korea. I don't know if you've thought about this, but North Korea, right this moment, they are not engaged in any actual fighting or conflict anywhere in the world. They're not. So on paper, if you don't really know anything um, outside of that, you, you could say, oh, they're great. I, I, I want to go live there. But we all know that inside that country, it's basically like a shaky block of Jenga pieces on a three-legged table. I mean, at any moment, this could all come crashing down. So do we even care about the Global Peace Index? I don't know, but it brings me back to the question I started with. What in the world is peace? I mean, can we really define it? 
In all fairness, the Bible talks about peace often, but before we go there, let's just look at what the world says it is. The definition of peace, if you look in the dictionary, is a state of tranquility. Um, I don't know that any of us in this room, first of all, ever even used the word tranquility, uh, but most of us probably don't feel like we experience that much either. I'm thinking maybe at times when I have been on vacation for six to seven days and I get to go have a massage, maybe I'm somewhere near tranquility. I don't know. But what is that? Uh, The definition goes on. It says a state of tranquility such as being free from disturbance or hostile aggression, the absence of conflict. Well, as I said a second ago, The Bible talks about peace, but it seems to talk about it in different terms. One of the places the Bible is very significant when it's talking about peace is in Isaiah, when Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah who would come, Isaiah says that he will be called the Prince of Peace. This means that the Messiah doesn't just think about peace or maybe bring it with him, but he defines it and rules by it. He will be the prince of peace. So if Jesus came to be the prince of peace, and Christmas is about us celebrating the coming of Christ, it's worth asking the question, what is and where do we find the peace of Christmas? The peace that's offered to us that we celebrate this time of year. Well, let's take a look. We're going to start this morning in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. If you are using the Bible app, you can go to events and find the brook and follow along with us there. In Luke chapter 1, Luke begins his Gospel talking about this woman named Elizabeth who is becoming, she's become pregnant, which is crazy to begin with because Elizabeth is way past the age that anyone would ever expect to get pregnant. But Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, are expecting a baby and they are told that their baby, they're to name him John and that he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. He will be the prophet of the Most High. Well, not only is Elizabeth miraculously pregnant, she happens to be the cousin of this young girl named Mary, who is even more miraculously pregnant because she's a virgin. And Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, and the baby inside of Elizabeth and the baby inside of Mary are almost leaping out of them from being in the same room with one another. God is doing something. John is born... And in Luke 1, his father, Zechariah, begins prophesying and declaring who he would be and who the Messiah would be. And I'd like you to look with me in Luke 1, beginning in verse 76. This is what Zechariah proclaims. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death 
and to guide our feet into the way of peace. There it is. That sounds great. Am I right? I would like to get some of what Zechariah is talking about here. I would be all for the sunrise visiting us from on high. Right now, I would be just great with a couple of days of sun in a row. This would be even way more better. But I would be all about God guiding our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah proclaims these things. And then in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. And the angel, as you know, visits the shepherds to proclaim to them, this is what's happened. And look with me in Luke 2, verse 14, at what he declares. The angel says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So if I'm understanding Zechariah and the angel and Luke correctly, Jesus came to bring peace, right? Well, it actually depends on what you mean by peace. It depends on how we define it and what we're talking about. Because you see, Jesus grows up, begins his ministry, calls out these 12 men, come and follow me. And Jesus is going to send them out, okay? He's preparing to send out his 12 apostles to go and share the good news that the kingdom of God is coming. And he warns them in one breath, "Um, I want to prepare you. You're going to be persecuted and rejected because of this message. But don't be afraid. Don't have any fear. The Lord goes with you. And so what he does is, Jesus says, here's what I'm sending you out to do. And then he kind of shoves a stick right in the spokes. Look with me for a moment in the gospel of Matthew. In chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm sending you out. And then he says this, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. What? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life, whoever holds on to his life will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life, surrenders his life for my sake, will find it. That's not real Christmassy. I mean, that's not really filled with good cheer as we would call it. Way to go, Jesus. We're trying to celebrate your birthday and just bringing it all down. So Jesus, regardless of what Zechariah has said and the angel has proclaimed, Jesus evidently did not come to bring peace on earth, at least in the way that we would think about world peace. Let's all hold hands, sing songs together. In fact, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, first of all, Jesus is saying, not just here, but throughout the Gospels, I did not come to solve political conflict. 
That's not why I'm here. That is not the hill that I came to die on. But Jesus is saying, as long as humans rule over other humans, sin is going to corrupt and spoil. That's just the way it's going to be. And Jesus didn't say this here, but he sure could have. And and, and we ought to remember who asked for a king in the first place. Did God say, hey, you need one, so I'm going to give you one? Or did we beg for one? We asked. We begged. As long as humans are ruling over other humans, sin is going to spoil and corrupt. But there's a bigger issue that Jesus is driving at here, and it's this. Jesus came knowing he would divide family and friends. Now, does Jesus mean that in order to follow him, you need to hate your mom? No. But Jesus is warning you and me, if you love your mom more than you love me, if you love your son more than you love me, if you love your dad more than you love me, you're not going to persevere because it's going to get hard. And see, Jesus also knew that some who would say, yes, I will follow and that they would come. That not only was their family maybe not going to be happy about it, and, and was not only their family not going to run after them, oh, please don't go, please don't go. Some of your family is going to say, don't let the door hit you in the rear and don't come back. I think about my friend Guven from Turkey. Guven was part of our church family in Wichita. But Guven was a Muslim who came to faith. And I don't know that to this day Guven is still welcome in his home. Jesus comes and says, I will divide. Jesus told them, the world hates me. If you follow me, the world is going to hate you as well. Don't be shocked by this. A servant isn't greater than his master. And so if all of this is true, as unchristmassy as it may be, that I'm chunking it out here at you this morning, what in the world is all that peace on earth, goodwill toward men stuff about? How do we reconcile that? Uh, When and how does that guide our feet into the way of peace? When is that going to kick in? Well, again, this all goes back to how we define and what we mean by peace. Just before Jesus is arrested, and as a result, the disciples are going to be frightened, scared, and scattered. I want us to look at what he tells them. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. In John 14, beginning in verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, While I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then Jesus says this Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then turn the page into chapter 16. 
Just moments later here in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus knows and he is saying to the disciples, guys, the world is about to feel like it is unraveling and falling apart. It is going to feel that way, but you know it is not out of the Father's hands for an instant. Uh, Jesus is saying to them, and he has said to them before, the world can bruise and the world will destroy. The world can physically take your life, but it cannot touch your soul. It's in the Father's hands. You may be afraid of dying, but very, very shortly you will no longer have to fear death. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trial. You will have pain. You will have suffering, uncertainty, and sorrow. And the world will bring all of that to your doorstep. It will not politely knock or ring the bell. It will kick it in and bring it right to you. But in the midst of that, do not lose heart. I have overcome the world. I want to ask you this morning to consider for a moment as we think about what in the world is peace. What kind of peace do you think was there? What kind of peace do you think someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer had? if you're familiar at all with Bonhoeffer. He had moved to the United States to teach, to study. But there was a man by the name of Adolf Hitler taking over his country. And Bonhoeffer felt a deep-rooted conviction that I cannot speak out against what is going on there if I am physically not there standing with my brothers and my sisters. And so Bonhoeffer left the sanctity of the United States and went home. And if you know any of the story of Bonhoeffer, he wound up being imprisoned and dying with the Jews because he stood up and said, no, I won't stand for this. What kind of peace is there in the midst of that? What kind of peace do you think is present with our Chinese brothers and sisters who, you know, this morning you are worshiping, whether you know it or not, with at least two, if not more, police officers sitting in the room worshiping with you? Our Chinese brothers and sisters, 12, 13, 14 hours ago, they were worshiping, hiding from the police. And in fact, just last week, a hundred of them were arrested. Why? Were they out on the street corner proselytizing and evangelizing? No, they were just worshiping the Lord and they got caught. What kind of peace do you think is present in the lives of those 21 Egyptian Christian men who were blindfolded and marched down a beach in Libya just a couple of years ago and put on their knees and beheaded? If you have the stomach to watch the video of that right before those men are murdered, 
you can see the only thing murmuring and coming off of their lips is the name of Jesus. What kind of peace is that? When I was in Nepal, we were in a village and I looked across the valley up on this hill and there was another village and it was really peculiar to me. I asked our guide, Charlie, hey, I see the village, but then way, way, way outside the village, there's just this other little house. What, what's that about? And he said, oh, that's the family that chose to follow Jesus. They were banished from the village. What kind of peace is this? Paul tells us. He said it is a peace that surpasses and and goes past our human comprehension. Look in Philippians 4 with me for a moment. And I remind you, as I always do when we look at this letter, that this is a letter written from Paul, from jail, while Paul is in chains, knowing that death is probably close. And Paul, in the midst of being in chains, in jail, facing death, writes to the Philippians and says in chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And then Paul says, let me say that again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone. And then his next thought is, the Lord is at hand. So do not be anxious or worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses and transcends all human understanding and comprehension, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, Peace is not the removal of chaos or conflict or uncertainty. It absolutely is not. Godly peace is the inner calm and resolve and solitude that we have in the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty. It's the thing that says the ground may be shaking, but my feet will still be firm. Let's go back to the angel's declaration for a moment in Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. What does he say again? He says, glory to God in the highest. And and so, first of all, what's the catalyst? What's the reason? What's the primary purpose of the coming of the Prince of Peace, it's the glory of God. At the very arrival of the Messiah, it is being declared, this is all about the glory of God. But the angel doesn't stop there. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. So who is this peace available to? I mean... Is this mean that peace and salvation, this is for everybody who somehow pleases God with their works and their efforts? 
No. It literally means peace is it's those upon whom God's favor rests. That's who it's offered to. That's who it belongs to. Peace to those upon whom God's favor rests. And so we understand that peace, that salvation, it belongs to those whom God is pleased to give it. Peace and salvation is granted not as a reward, but it is granted as a gift to those who trust God to give it. Malachi was the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament before things went silent for 400 something years. But as Malachi is closing out his words from God, in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, he says, For you who fear my name, God is proclaiming here, for you who trust me, for you who yield to me, revere me, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So the peace that the angel is declaring here, the peace that Jesus promises, it's from one place and from one place only. It is from the salvation that we have from God through the Son. Okay, We have never and we will never deserve it, but the Father freely gives it. I'm incredibly excited for us to walk through Paul's letter to the Romans this coming year. I would like for you to look with me for just a moment in Romans 5. And I will encourage you that this verse we're going to look at, um, that you not only take it to heart, um, but that you meditate on it, that you memorize it. Maybe you put it on a sticky note on your bathroom mirror, that it's there in your mind and your heart fresh all the time. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through faith. It's only through Christ. Where are you looking for peace this Christmas? Some of you right now, some of us, just the thought that you have to be with some of your family is giving you nightmares. But you know what's crazy is that you could find somebody sitting in the same seat on the opposite side of the room that right now the grief in their life is that they can't be with their family. Where are we finding peace? In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the uncertainty, what's going to bring you calm? What's going to be the foundation? Um, The peace of Christmas, if you're maybe hoping that that will arrive in the form of a raise or a promotion or something like that, um, the raise may come, but I assure you it won't bring peace with it. It won't work. Peace is not found in our illusion of control either. And some of us are very, very seduced by that illusion. It's not found there. Peace is found in knowing the sovereign God of the universe and that nothing is ever out of his hands.
Peace will definitely not be found in any gift under your tree. Peace is actually found in knowing that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. We have peace with God through faith, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close this morning looking with you at Colossians chapter 1. I think Paul says it very, very powerfully, very, very beautifully here in Colossians 1 verse 19. He says, In Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Friends, the peace of Christmas, I I am totally aware that this isn't Easter. But I'm just going to tell you, Christmas means nothing without Easter. Because the peace of Christ, the peace of Christmas, is only found in the blood of Christ. In that he has bore our sins. I don't know what you're walking through. Reed prayed for us earlier in this regard. What may be going on in your life right now. But I assure you that there is peace in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are bearing heavy burdens. Lord, that have been carrying a weight that they cannot carry on their own. Lord, I pray first of all they would know that you have said and you are still speaking to us Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. But Lord, I I pray that we would also be reminded today of what Paul told the Galatians, that we are to bear one another's burdens. God, that we are to carry the weight with one another. Lord, this morning, we ask you to lead our hearts to a place of laying down our idols. Things that very, very ironically we've chased after and pursued thinking that they would bring us joy or peace or satisfaction. Lord, there are many of us who are probably just weary from that pursuit. We pray you would give us the faith this morning to lay it down at your feet. Lord, we we want the peace that passes all understanding. 
So we pray you would lead us to that place of not allowing anxiety and worry to rule our lives, but God, that we would constantly commune with you. That we would come to you, Lord, through prayer, with thankful hearts. Lord, that we would trust you. Lord Jesus, this morning we proclaim that you are the only one worthy of our praise. You are the only one worthy of our declaration. You are the only one worthy of our lives being laid down. We thank you this morning that You are the good shepherd. We thank you that you came, that you broke into the middle of this chaos. So that we would have a high priest, that we would have a savior who knows our weaknesses. Lord, we pray this morning that you would be exalted as we continue to worship you. Lord, not just through our songs, but Lord, through a body of lives laid before you saying, Lord, take me, lead me, guide me, use me, God, for your kingdom, for your glory. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.